Tonight I want to speak to you about the end of days. I'm going to talk about Balaam specifically, and I, the, and I, like, I like to call him, call him the prophet for prophets. The prophet for prophets. So tonight's teaching is a, is a continuation in the end of days, and tonight we're going to speak about false prophecy. In Matthew 24:11, where Jesus speaks about the entire chapter, where Jesus speaks about the end of days, he says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And this is one of the negative signs of the, of the end of days. The end of days is really the countdown until the coming of Christ Jesus, the Messiah. And this is one of the signs of the end, the end of days, and that is the arising of false prophets, and it's specifically the coming of Antichrist, which we'll, we will speak about in upcoming weeks. So, so far in our series, In the End of Days, we've studied the purpose of Israel, and much of biblical prophecy is all centered around Israel. You cannot remove Israel from, 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 from biblical prophecy. We've spoken about the four horns, and the four horns specifically reference the four empires that have ruled over Israel, starting with the Babylonian Empire, then the, the Medes and the Persians, then number three, the Greek Empire, and the fourth empire, the Roman Empire. So this is the fourth horn, and from the fourth horn, there, there are 11 horns that rose up out of the fourth horn, and two weeks ago we spoke about the 11th horn. Then we spoke about the four carpenters. I'm going to repost that teaching, and I'll try, to, I'll try to get that up in the, next, in the upcoming days. And finally, we spoke about the 11th horn. Tonight, we're going to analyze the false prophets. And the most infamous false prophet in the Bible is Balaam. He's really a very, very complicated character. Because you think about somebody that's so wicked, that so e is so evil, and yet he, he prophesies so accurately about the end of days. And contrary to what Balaam wanted, God put words in Balaam's mouth what, that caused him to only bless Israel. God would not permit Balaam to pronounce a curse upon Israel. And Israel did not even know what was taking place when Balaam was at the mountaintops in the various areas. They did not know that Balaam was trying to curse them, but whenever he tried to curse them, he blessed them in, in, instead. And Balaam was a prophet that was for hire. So he wasn't a non-prophet. He was a for-profit prophet. And tonight, tonight we're going to talk about Balaam, the prophet for profit. Amen? So as we get started, with, um, as I like to do, and as our custom is, let's open up with a Hebrew prayer uh, for tonight's Torah study. And we'll pray, the, we'll, we'll pray the English prayer. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Hashem, our God, sweeten the words of Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Hashem, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. And we, Lord, your people, who are grafted in, Lord God, I ask you to make the, we, the words of Torah so sweet to us Make the words of the Bible so sweet to us and transform us tonight by reason of the anointing. And Lord, make your people so alert and so attentive, Lord God, and, 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 and are so aware of the deception of these last days. In Jesus' holy name we pray, and all of God's saints say, Amen. Amen. Alright, so uh, as I read earlier, Matthew 24.11 says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. This is one of the signs of the end days, and we've seen this happen over and over again uh, throughout the generations, but today the deception is greater than ever. In, Rebel, in Jude chapter 1, verse 11 and 18, it reads, Woe to them, for they, for they walk in the ways of Cain, and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are all incidences that happen in Scripture, but the one we're going to focus on tonight is Balaam's error. And then in verse 18 it says, They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. 
And this is one of the signs of the end of days, is there's no fear and no reverence of God's presence. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And this is a very, this is the same characteristic we saw in the days of the judges. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And they did not even heed the direction or the instruction of their judges. And look what Jesus instructs the church of Pergamos, Pergamum in, in Revelation chapter 2. We'll look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 and verse 14. And it reads, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now verse, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they may eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice immorality. And this is also one of the, one of the deceptions of Balaam. Because what the, what the Spirit attempts to do is to cause, is, is, it looks for a, a vulnerability in the armor. It looks for a place of weakness. It looks for a place where there's compromise in one's life. And, and once that Spirit identifies that area of weakness, that is the area where the Spirit will attack from. And that is exactly what Balaam attempted, attempted to do. It looked for a weakness in, 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 in Israel, and it attacked from that very perspective. And, what, and it could not, it could not, Balaam could not curse Israel from any angle. So what did Balaam do? We're actually going to look, we will reveal that secret this evening as we get going here. So let's, before we get into what Balaam did and the, tactic, the tactics that were employed by Balaam, let's look at Balaam as a person. Who is Balaam? You know, we read about Balaam in several places in Scripture both in the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures, but do we really know who Balaam was? Balaam was one of the fiercest enemies of the Jewish people. And we first encounter Balaam in a place where you never even imagined. If you turn to Genesis twenty-two twenty-one, and it reads, Now after these things it was told Abraham, Behold, Milcah also born children to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram. This is from Genesis 22, verses 20 and 21. Abraham's niece's name, was one of his nieces was Milcah, and Milcah had one of her children was Balaam. So of the sons I just named, one of those is, is, is Balaam. So Balaam was a relative um, uh, uh, almost like a, 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 a almost like a a nephew of Abraham. So there, there was a very close relation between Balaam and Abraham. And Balaam is is a fierce enemy of the Jewish people. There's another rabbinic source that says that Balaam was the same person as Laban. And many of you many of you know who Laban was. Laban was the father of, 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 um, of, of, of uh, actually, Laban was the brother of Rebekah, and Rebekah was the wife of, of Isaac. I don't, I don't, this source, I don't, I don't really think that Laban was really the same person as Balaam, but I do believe they had very similar personalities, and they practiced a very, uh, the same form of, of, um, of witchcraft. Now, according to a Midrash, another rabbinic source from Barishas Rabbah 74, the Midrash tells us that Balaam was the grandson of Laban. So we look at three different sources, and, and they all say different things about, 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 I apologize, uh, they say the same thing about Balaam. And one thing we know about Balaam is that Balaam practiced the mysteries of the occult, he was very entrenched in Ar Aramean witchcraft, and both both Laban and Balaam were heavily steeped into the occult, and, and and they were and they were both hired to pronounce witchcraft upon others. And we fi we find ba we find Balaam in a place you never imagined. He was found in the capital of Egypt. He was actually one one of the advisors of Pharaoh, who was king of Egypt. So both jo both Job. Whom we read about in the book of Job, Job and 
Balaam were advisors to Pharaoh. And it was actually Balaam that advised Pharaoh to drown the Jewish children into the Nile. So from very early on, we see Balaam as such a fierce enemy of the Jewish people. Balaam was extremely anti-Semitic and, and really wanted to do away with the Jewish people. And it was Balaam who also first aroused Amalek to wage war against Israel in their first battle against the Amalekites. Because when the Jewish people came out of Egypt, and after you know what took place, there was a battle with Amalek. And why, why did we have the battle with Amalek? It was because Balaam aroused them to, to do so. So Balaam, we see Balaam at work behind the scenes to bring destruction to the Jewish people. Now let's look at Numbers chapter twenty-two, verse five, and these 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 are the early, this is the early, this is the early scriptures about Balaam and what Balaam was doing and what Balak was doing, and look at what it says here. Balak, to give you a little background, Balak was the was a king, and Balak sent messengers to Balaam, verse five of Numbers twenty-two. He sent messengers. He sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of Amah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Now, as I've been sharing with you over the last, you know, as long as I've been teaching Torah, is there are no meaningless words, no meaningless details in God's Word. So we're reading details here that don't really seem relevant. You know, what does it matter that it was by the river? in the land of Amman. I mean, there's details that, don't, that to us don't really have any relevance, but, if you, but you need these details to understand the type of people that Balaam was associated with. First of all, I want you to know that Balak was a king. And he sent messengers to Balaam to hire him to curse the Israelites. And look at the way Balak describes the Israelites. He says they cover the face of the earth. Now, at this time, Israel is a very young nation. They're a very small nation. And they're coming out of Egyptian they've, 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 they've come out of Egyptian slavery. And they've they've abode in the wilderness for 40 years. They are they are they are, they are not a large people. But look at the way Balak describes the people. He describes them as a people that cover the face of the earth. And I want you to keep that thought in your mind as we look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. And this is the same way that Pharaoh describes the Jewish people in Egypt, you know, um, years earlier. And it says, But the descendants of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. But the more they, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. See, you see a similar concept being expressed, that it's saying, both scriptures are saying, it's, it's, like, it's saying like that the world was filled with, with, with Jews. It, the world was filled with Israelites. And both of these scriptures, from the perspective of Balaam, I mean, of Balak, and from the perspective of, of Pharaoh, these are not positive terms. These are very anti-Semitic terms. And because they don't like the Jewish people, they speak about them in a way that even one Jew is too many. So, so this is what they're doing. They're very anti-Semitic, and they're speaking about the Jews in a very negative manner. So this is not a positive thing to say they multiplied. Because it, it, you could say they multiplied and speak about it in a positive way, but the way Pharaoh and Balak are speaking about the Jewish people is a very negative way. It's a very, it's, 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 it's very racist. It, it's, 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 there's a lot of prejudice. It's anti-Semitic. And the way they're speaking of the Jewish people is, is, is very harmful. And the goal of Pharaoh and the goal of Balak was to suppress the Jewish people. And one thing I want you to know is, uh, um, is that God has a great calling on your life. God has called you to walk in His ways. And there, are, there may be some around you that will, try to, that will try to suppress your potential. They will speak to you in ways, in, in controlling ways. They will speak down to you and, and they'll tell you that, that you have no value. But they do that in a way be, 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 to suppress your potential. And that's exactly, what, that, that's exactly what Pharaoh 
and Balak were doing to the Jewish people was to suppress their value. So this is one of the you know, two scriptures where we see anti-Semitism from Exodus chapter 1 and Numbers chapter 22. Now look, looking back at Numbers 22, we're, we're going to park here for a little while. In Numbers 22 verse 5 it says, Sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor. Let's look at that word Pethor. That word Pethor, and it says, it says to Pethor, which is by the river. To Pethor, which is by the river. The word Pethor in Aramaic means table. And, what, and I just want you to picture a table with, peop, with, with people sitting on either, either side of the table and that with money on the table. Because the word Pethor, which means table, is associated with money changers. So it represented a place where, where money, where exchange of money took place. But it, it, but it wasn't just a place where business was transacted. That was my initial thought. The Pethor may, may have been a trade city, may have been a place where people exchanged goods in, 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 for, for, for money. But that's not, that wasn't what was taking place here. There was exchange of money being taken place, but the exchange of money wasn't for goods the way we see goods. Kings came to Balaam or, me, or messengers from the kings were sent to Balaam with letters with requests for occult services. So Balaam was so famous, so famous in the Middle East that people, that kings from all over would send, send messengers to him to curse other people. So what took place here was they, bought, they brought money to Balaam in exchange for occultic services. And that's why I call Balaam the prophet who is for profit. He was not a 501c. He was a for-profit prophet. And, and, and he, he, he used prophecy for monetary gain. And this is something that, that, is, that is so against God's will. This is something that's completely against God's word. And there are those out there that will use God's word for their own benefit. They, 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 don't, they don't have God's work, work in mind. All they care about is, is satisfying their own selfish lust. And this is, the, this, is a, this is a characteristic of Balaam. Because Balaam knew who God was. Balaam knew there was only one God. Balaam knew, but there was never a true conversion that took place. And, and he, he, he used... He, he, he used occultic practices for, for, for monetary gain to curse other people. And he could not wait for the opportunity to curse God's people because he despised the Israelites. And he jumped at the opportunity from Balak to curse the Jewish people. So how did Balaam begin? He, 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 began, he began his career as a magician, then a prophet, and then he went back to being a magician. And Pethor was a city that was one of the centers of sorcery in Mesopotamia. So he was in a region that was steeped deeply into witchcraft, and that's exactly the area that he was in, and leaders, influential people came from all over to hire him for his occultic services. See, Balaam recognized God. He knew who God was. But you know what? It, but he did not allow God to transform him. And what God looks for in each and every one of us, he looks for a true conversion. And that means if we have wicked ways in us, that we turn away from our wickedness, that we turn and follow God wholeheartedly. And Balaam was not willing to do that. He was only, all he wanted to do was to use God for his own gain. He had no relationship with God. He, you know, he kind of sounded like a prophet. He, he said some of the right religious things to Balak, but you know, his heart was not really into the ways of God. All he, all he cared about was using God for his own uh, you know, for his own means and for his own profits. And he did not remove idolatry from his behavior, and, and, and he was not inspired to follow God's commandments. All he wanted to do, because he had such an ungodly hatred for the Jewish people, I mean, uh, that in itself is, is, a, is a horrible sin, and all he wanted to do was to profit from, from using occultic practices. And we see in the scriptures, as we read through this entire portion, this Torah portion of, of Balak, we see Balaam uses sacrifice not to draw closer to God. He, 
He uses sacrifice to draw God closer to him. See, a true prophet is not out to seek his or his or her own interest. A true prophet is out to seek after the interest of God. And Balaam, all he all he wanted to do was to man, manipulate the anointing. He wanted to man, manipulate God for his own profit. And a prophet should is not one that should seek their own, but the prophet should seek that which is God's. That means, as a true man and woman of God, that you nullify your will and surrender and submit yourself to God's will. And you don't speak your own heart; you speak God's heart. And Balaam did the very opposite. He just spoke his own heart. He spoke his own wickedness. And the only reason why he, he offered these sacrifices was to was to draw God to him. His goal was to draw the divine presence to him so he could manipulate God in, in, into doing what he wanted. See, ba Balaam didn't realize that God's already in control. God knows the end from the beginning. God knew the motive of Balaam's heart. And at the very end, all that Balaam could do was pronounce the most incredible blessing over the Israelite people. And he spoke an end-time prophecy about the victory that the Jewish people would experience even over the Antichrist in, in, the, in the very last hour at, of the end of days. And to summarize this portion, Balaam is the perfect example of one that uses the anointing for his own benefit. Now, I want to read a scripture to you from Acts, in Acts chapter 19. And this is, this is what Balaam should have done, but this is not what Balaam did. In Acts chapter 19, verse 19, it reads, And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it, came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of God grew and prevailed mightily. In the book of Acts, we see such a mighty revival taking place, and we see tremendous conversions taking place. And those, there were believers that came, they came, they came confessing and divulging their practices. So there were so many that gave up the practices of witchcraft and magical arts and so on and so on, and they, and they brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They completely repented of their wicked ways and, full, and wholeheartedly turned to the God of Israel. But that's not what Balaam did. Balaam continued to mix his witchcraft. So he, he, knew, he knew some of God's ways, but he, he mixed it in with his evil occultic ways and tried to manipulate God. And as we all know, you cannot, you cannot manipulate God. There's no way. But Balaam was fooled into thinking he could he could manipulate God, and he used he used witchcraft uh, he used the anointing for his for his own benefit. He tried to mix in that which is that which is of God and mixed it in with his occultic practices, and that's really one of the most evil things you can do. Now let's look at Numbers chapter twenty two verse six, and this is part we're going to defeat them and drive them from the land. This is what Balak is asking for. He's asking for he's asking that defeat them and drive them out of the land. That is what Balak wanted, and that's what Balak was trying to hire Balaam to do. But Balaam wanted to go beyond the call of duty. Not only did he want to drive them out, he wanted to completely eradicate them, completely eliminate them from existence. And so in verse 6 it reads, Come on, come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you cursed is cursed. This word defeat, because he says, come and defeat them for me. The word defeat is also the word strike, and the word in the Hebrew translation is in English, it reads the word strike. But based upon a, uh, the Midrash, upon a rabbinic commentary, the meaning of that word strike is to diminish. So what Balak is saying is, I want you to curse the people of Israel so that you may reduce their number. So, he, so Balak is not asking for the complete elimination or eradication of the Jewish people. He's asking that the, their number be 
be diminished. And that's, that's exactly what Pharaoh did as well. By having the male children drowned into the Nile, he was diminishing, he was trying to diminish the number of Israelites. But, but that, was not, that was not Balaam's goal. Balaam's goal, the false prophet Balaam, his goal was to completely eradicate the Jewish people. Again, because he had such a, such a horrible, irrational hatred for the Jewish people. Now I want to speak to you about the power of ungodly agreement. You know, in, in this story here, within this Parsha, within this Torah portion here, you see the power of ungodly agreement. We see the power of ungodly agreement when Balaam went with the officers of Moab. He didn't only go physically with them, he went with them in agreement with spirit. And this is one of the ways that witchcraft operates. You know, witchcraft is not just something you see when, when you watch some, you know, some, some, you know, you, you know, some, 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 some Disney story with, with a witch and a cauldron and and and, and, and a spell and a spell a spell being created. It, it uh, witchcraft is also produced just by ungodly agreements, just by two people agreeing in jealousy or hatred for somebody. That that, that actually is that 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 is actually also a form of witchcraft. And this is what we see here. So Balaam rose in the morning, Numbers 22, 21. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. And right after this, we, we, see, we see the anger of God kindled against Balaam. See, Balaam did not only just go with Balak's men. He went with them in agreement of spirits. And when, when two go with jealousy or uh, uh, with, with evil intent in their hearts together, um, that, that, that ungodly agreement is a form of witchcraft. And, 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 and it gives witchcraft strength. So we see witchcraft at work here. So even in our own lives, when, when, when we have a conversation with somebody else and we have an ungodly agreement and we're speaking evil of somebody else, that is a form of witchcraft. And that's something that we really need to eradicate from our, from our behavior, because this is something that God, that does not please God. You know, we need to speak good things about one another and not have these ungodly agreements of evil against others. And now let's go to Numbers twenty-two forty-one. And on the morrow, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamot Baal. And from there he saw the nearest of the people. So what took place here is, Balaam and Balak were looking for the, a weakness in the Jewish people and took them to different parts of, of the land and, from, and, looked and approached the Jewish people from different perspectives, looking for a weakness in the Jewish people, usually through sin, because whenever we sin, we open up the door for the enemy to attack. So in our own lives, to make this personal and prophetic and applicable in our lives today is, is there a weakness in your armor? Because wherever there's sin, wherever, wherever, wherever there's strife, wherever there's gossip, you know, um, wherever there's any form of immorality, we open up the door for the enemy to attack. And what Balak, the king of Midian, and what, what, what Balaam were doing, they were looking for a, a weakness. They were looking for a weakness in the armor. They were, I mean, Balak, the king of Moab, they were looking for a weakness in the armor of the Jewish people. And the reason why Balaam could not curse Israel is because they were surrounded by God's glory on seven times, on, on, on every single side. When the Jewish people came out of Egypt, they were surrounded by seven clouds of God's glory. There was a cloud of glory above, a cloud of glory beneath, a cloud of glory in the left, a cloud of glory in the right, a cloud of glory in the front, a cloud of glory behind, and a seventh cloud of glory that led them. Which and when you and in the book of Revelation, where you read about the seven spirits of God, it's talking about the full protection of the Holy Spirit, and He surrounds you on every side. And as long as you stay in the glory, you are protected from witchcraft. You are protected from every form of attack from the enemy. When safe, when Jesus was led into the wilderness by by the by the Holy Spirit after His baptism, and after forty days He hungered, He, he fasted. And then after, on the, after 40 days, the devil came to tempt him. And the devil took him to different places, including on top of a high mountain, looking for a weakness in Jesus. But Jesus defeated Satan through the word of God. 
He used the words of Torah to, to defeat Satan, and Satan could find no weakness in Christ's armor. And here, Balaam, who is a type of Satan, in the way he's behaving, he's looking for a weakness in Israel and looking for a place to attack them. So the place that Balaam took, Balak took Balaam was a place called Bama Baal. And in this region, from this perspective, they could see the southernmost part of Israel, see the southernmost tribe, and that was a tribe of Dan. And Dan was a tribe that actually did entertain the sin, the, the sin of worshipping the idol of, of Baal. And so they thought they could curse Israel from the perspective of the Israelites' weakness to enter into idolatry. So they thought this was, a, this was a good place to arouse God's anger against Israel and in turn curse the Israelites. See, Balaam could, only, Balaam could not see all the Israelites. He could only see the nearest of the people. And the nearest of the people were the tribe of Dan, and the only reason why you could see the tribe of Dan at a distance was because because Dan was deprived of the protection of God's glory because there were members of the tribe of Dan that had that that held the idol of 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 of, of, of Mikah. So when it, that and that's what Satan does, the enemy will attack the weakest in in, in the group. When, it, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were attacked by Amalek, the Amalekites attacked the weakest. And the weakest are not those that are the youngest or, the, or, or the, those with the less spiritual strength, or the, with the least physical strength. The weakest are those that are living the weakest lives spiritually. Those are the ones that live their lives with, without being in God's Word. Th these are the ones that live their lives w w without prayer. These are the ones that live their lives just just trying to get by, but not living under God's protection. So if, if you find yourself living a life of compromise, you live your life without fellowship with the brethren, with the brothers and sisters in, in, in the body of Christ. Or maybe you're living your life without spending time with God every day, and not spending time in God's Word. Well, guess what happens? Then you're living in a place of compromise. You're living in a place where you're not under the full protection of God's glory. And my prayer tonight is that you are going to return to the full protection of God's presence. Amen? That you completely return to God with your whole heart. Especially during these days of, of, of this pandemic, there are many that are forsaking the, the gathering of the brethren. But you know what? It, here in California, you know, we may not be able to worship inside of a building in most cases, but we, but we can gather outdoors and gather in tents. So I encourage all of you that can, it, to, to, to return to that fellowship. And if you can't return to the physical fellowship, uh, uh, you know, you, maybe you can replace that by spending time on the phone with, with, with believers in prayer and studying God's Word and really get yourself back to that place of being protected. Because one of the deceptions of the last days is that you forsake the gathering. And, and that's, what's, that's exactly what's taking place in these days. And when you get out of the protection of God's presence, then you open the, the door for a, a Balaam-type attack. An attack that will cause you to give up your consecration. And, and when you're outside of God's glory, then you're completely vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. But my prayer tonight is that, Holy Spirit, I pray that your glory will fully cover our lives. And Lord, I pray that we will return to you wholeheartedly in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? So, Balaam's hatred for the Jewish people was so intense that despite, despite all the warnings from God, he still pushed forward to find a way to curse Israel. And Balaam, again, is the perfect example of one who uses prophecy for his own profit and doesn't submit his will to God. You know, I'm going to, go ahead, I'm going to contrast Balaam to Jeremiah for a moment. You know, we've just come through the three-week period from the 17th day of Tammuz to the ninth day of Av, Tisha B'Av. And Jeremiah was such a, an unpopular prophet because he spoke the truth. And he was so despised, he was so hated, he was so persecuted because he spoke the truth. And whereas all the false prophets were saying, fight and, and don't surrender to Babylon, Jeremiah, in contrast, was speaking God's word and telling the Israelites to surrender to the king of Babylon. 
He was speaking God's word. He was speaking what God wanted him to speak. And he, was a, he became a very unpopular prophet. And in, in these last days, the false prophets that arise are the ones that are going to be the popular prophets. But you know what? We want to hear God's word of truth no matter what. We want to heed the word of God and we want to hear God's true prophets, don't we? If you're with me, please say amen. So we need Jeremiah's in these last days. We need prophets like Moses. We need prophets that will speak the true word of God without compromise. And we live in a day today. And we live in a world of so much compromise. And we, we need to return to hearing the true prophets of God. And we want, we want God's glory to return. We want God's presence to intensify in these last days. We, need, we want the fear of God to return to the earth. We want to abide and live under the clouds of God's glory and live under God's protection. I so long for the days to return where we're going to see healings take place in, tremend in tremendous measure. That we're going to see God's move take place in the earth like we haven't seen in many, many years. And you know what? Saints of God, those days are returning to the body of Christ. Look at Numbers 22, verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, see, these two nations are in, in, they are in ungodly agreement. They departed with the fees of divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. See, they brought all kinds of charms. They brought lucky charms or whatever you want to call them. They brought all these instruments with them so that Balaam could have every instrument he needed to curse Israel. And I'm going to, you know, some of you may ask, well, is witchcraft real? I mean, uh, do these things really have any substance? And there's different rabbinic opinions on whether they have power or not have power. Now, according to the Talmud, which is also rabbinic commentary, in the Talmud, Rabbi Yochanan taught, the instruments of witchcraft defy the heavenly courts. This implies that while these instruments are not devoid of all effect, their action is quite limited. That, and it says that only those who believe in them are subject to their effect. But if one ignores them completely, he is rendered immune to them. So, that, so that, that, that's one opinion. So is it real or not real? Uh, the opinion here is if you give them power, then they have power. If you believe they have no power, then they have no power. And I, believe, and I know and I believe in my whole heart that we have power in the name of Jesus and we have power in the word of our testimony, and we have power in the blood of Jesus. So, so we can nullify any curse of the wicked one through our words. Amen? You know, I do, I do believe witchcraft is real. I believe these powers are real. I've seen these powers in, in effect, but I know that their power is nothing in comparison to the power of God. And I'm telling you, there is so much power in the blood of Jesus. There is so much authority in the name of Jesus. So I can break every curse with, with God's word and, and in the name of Jesus. And we are covered in the blood of Jesus. So there is no, there's no power, no word, no word curse from the pit of hell that can bring me down or bring you down because we have authority and we have power in the name of Jesus. And the reason why so many Christians are oppressed is because they don't know the authority they carry in Christ Jesus. They don't know the power they have. And that when they say the name of Jesus, demons tremble. So we must learn how to exercise the authority that God has given us. And, and, and the more you walk in fear, the more power you give to the devil. But when you walk in your authority, the demons of hell will tremble. I'm telling you, saints of God, Satan is more afraid of you than you are of him. Because you, because you have the blood. You have the authority. And you, you have salvation in, in Christ Jesus. So no matter what demon of hell comes against you, no matter what sorcerer or, or witch will come against you, they have no power because you have the blood. And as long as you're working in, God, in God's ways, as long as you're wa walking in the, under the glory cloud of God, you are walking under His protection. And Balaam wanted to completely liberate the Jewish people from the face of the world. But he could not do it because they were protected by the clouds of God's glory. Now, as, a, as we come close to, our, to the end of this teaching, 
uh, I want to talk to you about the way Balaam tried to curse Israel. Because he tried to curse Israel from several vantage points. He tried to curse Israel from the mountaintop. He tried to curse Israel from the field of the lookouts. And he tried to curse Israel from the summit of Peor. But he failed every single time. See, in verse in Numbers 22, 41, it reads, And on the morrow, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal. And from there he saw the nearest of the people. The nearest of the people were the tribe of Dan, specifically those that sinned with an idol. And he, he could not curse Israel from, from that place because they were protected. Because what he was doing here was, it was a test of Israel's physical strength to withstand the curse of Baal. So even from this point, even those that had sinned, he still could not curse them because they were still protected. And, and so the next place he was brought to was in Numbers 23, 14. And he took him to the field of Zathim at the top of Pisgah and built seven, seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Remember what Balaam is doing. He's not sacrificing to get close to God. He's sacrificing to cause God to draw closer to him so that he could manipulate God into cursing the Israelites. So, but he could not curse Israel from even the field of lookouts. This, this place was a test of whether Israel had enough spiritual vision and clarity of mind to withstand the curse arising out of the darkness of witchcraft. So the first place, the mountaintop, represents the physical strength of the Israelite people. And he could not find enough weakness from the, from the physical standpoint, and he was not able to curse them. Then when he comes to the field... He's trying to curse Israel from their spiritual weakness. But yet, he cannot curse them there as well. See, the enemy is going to, come for, is going to look for a vulnerability in your armor and, and look for that place to attack you. Then the third place he brought him to was the summit of Peor. Verse 20, verse 30, I'm sorry, Numbers 23, 38. I'm sorry, Numbers 23, 28. So Balak took to the top of Peor that oversees the, or overlooks the desert. And Balaam tried to curse Israel from that vantage point. This is where their morality was put, to the, was put to the test. Because this was the place where idol worship would, would, was practiced. But he, even from this point, he could not curse Israel. So that was the third place. Three physical vantage points. He tried to curse Israel and he failed all three times. So the fourth thing he tried to do was he tried to invoke the power of the evil eye. Can you say evil eye with me? Balaam tried to invoke the power of the evil eye against Israel. Now, let me before I explain to you what an evil eye is, because an evil eye is also a, is a, is a, is a Hebrew idiom, let's talk about what a good eye is. A, a good eye is not, you know, in my case, my right eye is my good eye. I'm not speaking about... Uh, in terms of a physical eyesight, a good eye is is the way we look at people. So if you if you look at if you talk about somebody it positively and you have good things to say about them, you're looking at them with a good eye. In contrast, when you have an evil eye towards somebody, you're thinking evil or harm towards somebody else. And the evil eye is the harm that that can be inflicted to somebody through jealousy, envy, or any form of evil. And so what we see taking place here between Balak and Balaam is the practice of an evil eye. And an evil eye is also a form of witchcraft. And when, you, when, 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 when two come into agreement and, and, and plot evil against somebody else, or, or just think evil about somebody else. And the evil eye is one of the classic faults that, that were attributed to, to Balaam. And this is something that's that's even in practice in the church today. And we, we and we if, if we practice an evil eye, this is one of the sins that we need to repent of, because this concept of an evil eye in Hebrew is called the ayin hara, evil eye, and and it's a prohibition in the Torah. It's a prohibition in the Ten Commandments, because one of the commandments says, "Do not covet." So the way we the way we eradicate the ayin hara or the evil eye is to obey God's commandment. Do not covet. Because if you don't covet what somebody else has, 
then you can't have an evil eye towards them. If somebody has a nicer car than you, a nicer home than you, a nicer job than you, or you know, a better salary than, than you, whatever it may be, you don't look at them with an evil eye and say, I wish I had that, or say, I, I wish I, why does he or she have that, and why don't I have that? See, those are all examples of an evil eye. What we should do is bless one another. And if, and if somebody is more blessed with, than we are in a financial way, you know, we just praise the Lord for them, because the Lord has chosen to bless them in that way. And we should rejoice in one another in one another's success rather than curse one another and not have an evil eye against one another. Now I want to read this to you from Chabad.org about the meaning of an evil eye. The meaning, the, the concept of Ayin Hara. And it reads like this. God is the epitome of kindness. As such, heaven does not generally judge a person in the strictest possible manner. But when one negative but when but when one negatively gazes at another's good fortune with ill feeling or envy, he is essentially asking, how come that person has XYZ? And this arouses the latent harsh judgment above. And the person is judged strictly according to what he deserves. So if there is already some sort of existing sin, the evil eye can amplify it and cause the person to be judged in a strict and unfavorable fashion. Do you all see that? So it's very important that, that we're very careful in the way we judge one another. It's very important that, that, that we treat one another with love and, and, and we rejoice in one, another, one another's successes. Amen? And one thing I do want you to know is that from every vantage point, from all these four points, Balaam could not curse Israel. And the Spirit of God, in every instance, caused him to bless Israel. 